0: Scripture tonight is 1 Samuel 13, 1 through 5, 15, 1 through 15. Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel, 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Gibeah, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all of Israel heard it, and said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel, thirty thousand chariots and six thousand horsemen and troops, like the sand on the seashore, in multitude. They came up and encamped at Michmash, to the east of Beth When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard pressed, the people hid themselves in the caves, and in holes, and in rocks, and in tombs, and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad in Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me, and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering. Behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, and I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established you and your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. And the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over the people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about six hundred men. This is the word of the Lord.
1: One of the reasons I think we enjoy biography is because you get to, to hear the story of, uh, of an entire life. And if the biography is written well, and not just sort of in a devotional vein that overlooks all the rough edges, you, you get to see some of the, uh, the, the fateful decisions, the turns, uh, the crisis points where a man or a woman uh, essentially sets their destiny for the future. And that is the case with this biography of Saul that we're studying here this uh, winter. Uh, and we're at one of those fateful moments tonight. Actually, we'll be going through chapters 13 and 14, kind of some of the highlights of them tonight, where they, on one level, are describing a great military battle. It's called the Battle of Micmash Pass, and so this is a story about Uh, Warfare, there's lots of little tidbits about uh, military planning and uh, the types of weapons that were used and and that sort of thing. But at another level, uh, these chapters are three different stories that talk about Saul losing his way. Talks about Saul fading away in his faith, Saul uh, moving away from the blessing. Of the Lord. And of course, there's many differences between an old covenant relationship with the Lord and a new covenant relationship with the Lord. We'll talk a little bit about that tonight. But it does provide something of a cautionary tale as we consider where we are with the Lord. And one of the things you might do as a way of application here is think about where you were uh, a year ago and think about where you are tonight and contrast whether you feel like your life is more turned towards the Lord tonight or less. Well, the first story is the most familiar one. It's Saul essentially panicking. He has a grown son now. His name is Jonathan. The Philistines, who are a warring tribe up on the coast, have established a beachhead. And we'll try to look at a map of this. It's a pretty narrow area, if we want to call that one up. The area that we're talking about is on the, is just on the northern border of Benjamin. You see Jerusalem there, and we're talking about uh, a mountain pass five miles to the north of Jerusalem, to the northeast of Jerusalem. That's where the battle is uh, being fought. It's hard to get a map small enough. Big Mash is not a particularly large town, but that's where we are tonight, and The the, the Philistines are a warring people. They're over on the Mediterranean coast to the left, and they are in the business of trying to take over um, uh, Canaan, and they're trying to wipe out the the Israelis. And by the time we've gotten here, there is an outpost in the territory of Benjamin. So what that tells us is is that uh, Saul's people, the Hebrew people, are uh, occupied at this point in their history. Uh, another nation has come in and, and, and started to take over. And Jonathan, this uh, mighty young warrior, attacks a Philistine outpost and routs the enemy. And then Paul's, uh, the text says, Israel's become a stench to the Philistines. So, so what has happened here is uh, Jonathan has is, is staged a revolution. He's fought back against the Philistines, a much stronger army, and the Philistines are very upset. They also have better weapons. They have many more troops, better weapons, faster chariots than Israel does. And so the mighty Philistine army gathers in Michmash, which is just to the north, as we said. And if, if we can get that little slide, um, this is a picture of that area today. Um, the, the, it's an Arab village named Mukmash, and... You can see where a road runs through the uh, the canyon there, and the battle will be fought uh, on, I believe, to the left. I think it's to the left up there on the top. So you would have had thousands and thousands of troops massing uh, up on the north there, probably in sight of, of the Jews. Saul masses his troops three miles away in Gilgal, which was at this point the spiritual... Sinner of, of Israel and the site of his coronation. And they panic, understandably. You, you remember, they're not uh, military people, they're farmers, they're overwhelmed. Uh, the text says, When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, they hid in caves and holes and rocks. If you, if you ever get to go to Palestine and you go into this area, uh, there's a cave in Lachish, for example, in which you can find the prayers of a Hebrew from the 6th century before Christ during the Babylonian uh, invasion. Uh, it was common for people to hide in the, in the caves. Uh, it was common, but it wasn't a, a great military strategy. Um, they were not set up for success, and, and they were panicking. And so you can imagine, if, if you're the leader of an army... And you can see these thousands of troops massed on the the horizon of the hill, and the people are wondering, when are you going to do something? Why don't you act? Why don't you lead? What is going wrong, Saul? Do something. Well, what the people don't know is that Saul had a conversation with the prophet Samuel. And you can read about it back in chapter 10. And Samuel had given very clear instructions. He said, go for me to Gilgal. And behold, I'm coming before you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you'll wait until I come and show you what to do. Now, again, this is the old covenant. They related to the Lord in a different way than than we did. One of the things that was very different is that there was a very clear uh, distinction of powers. The kings fought the wars. The prophets prayed the prayers. And you didn't cross that boundary, that that dominion assignment. Uh, Saul was supposed to provide military political leadership. Samuel was supposed to provide the spiritual leadership. Samuel was a representative of God's will. And of course, as we just read in the story, Saul becomes anxious. He sees his army deteriorating, running away, hiding in caves. Samuel refuses to come. Saul wants uh, God's blessing, and so he... Offers the sacrifice himself. Samuel pops up out of nowhere and rebukes him, and and essentially says uh, it's over. Now, that's a hard story, and it's hard to read three thousand years later. It, it kind of sounds like Saul set was set up by Samuel. I mean, what was wrong after all with offering this sacrifice? Well. We don't know all the details of the story. This is one of those ragged, edged stories from the Old Covenant that, that you, you trust God is speaking through. What we do know is, is that the prophet Samuel represented God's will. Samuel had given Saul a very clear word, and Saul, when he looked around and saw the circumstances, uh, choked. And he, he reacted and offered the sacrifice himself. He, instead of living by faith, he reacted to fear and anxiety. And by way of contrast, think of how Abraham responds, the great man of faith. Uh, even when God says, sacrifice your son, Abraham just trusts and that God will provide a way, but not Saul. Now, this is one of those situations where, where he, he may very well have been confused and angry, I wish we knew what he felt, but it would be very natural at this point for uh, Saul to feel set up, to feel that this was unjust and fair. Now, if David had been in this situation, I suspect that we would have several psalms of lament uh, right now written. Or David would say, I'm sitting here on this mountaintop and there's all these troops and you sent me here and you didn't provide, and what is wrong with you and where are you? That's how David would have responded to a situation like that. And 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 I, I think that may have been what God wanted. But maybe what God wants when He puts you into a situation where you are anxious and God seems distant and you feel impatient and everybody around you is panicking and asking you to do something. He may put you in a situation like that just to teach you to wrestle with him, to argue with him, to press into him. But that's not really what Saul does. Life is a lot like this situation, though, isn't it? Last night I had the wonderful privilege of officiating at Danny and Megan's wedding. We just had a delightful time. I left there and I went to the receiving of friends for a 58-year-old doctor who died of pancreatic cancer and left three girls behind in the space of an hour. Isn't that life? And as I've been preparing for our Lent series on lament, I've been doing some reading in this wonderful Michael Card book. Uh, He talks about lament as what happens when the God of hesed, the God of loving kindness who you worship, Somehow there's a gap between who you understand God to be and how he should act and your experience of life. And the Psalms of Lament are, 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 are the expression of the fear and the frustration and the confusion when God is not doing what you think he should do. That's what David does. It's not what Saul does. Saul... We have no evidence of repentance, no evidence of lamentations. The next verse just reads and Saul numbered the people. Saul just starts to count things. That's usually not a good sign in the Old Testament, but it's his response. He just turns to his own. He's just adding up his own resources to what he can do to solve this problem. If God's not going to bless him, he's just going to figure it out his, his own way. And I wonder if if you may be in a similar place tonight, where you're kind of you're kind of at Gilgal, and you're waiting on the Lord. You think you heard from the Lord. You thought it was clear what you were supposed to do. People are panicking around you. People are hiding in caves around you. People are questioning why you're so passive. And you're tempted to panic and take matters into your own hand. Well, don't. Because that's one of the first steps Saul makes that leads him away from God. Well, the second story we didn't read tonight, and I'll just summarize it. Perhaps you could read chapter 14 later, but the second story, Saul fails uh, in another significant way. His son Jonathan now wins a battle against the Philistines. He shows great courage and faith. He says in verse 5 that God, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. He attacks another outpost. He routs them with great daring. He climbs up a steep cliff. Saul hears about the ruckus. He figures out Jonathan's gone and gone over there. He sends his troops to, fi- to finish the job. And you count in, so the Lord saved Israel that day. But what we find is that as Jonathan now is moving in faith and moving out with the Lord, Saul is out of step. Here's what we read back in chapter 14, verse 2. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migran. So here, the the real battle's being waged by his son, who's climbing hand over fist up into the summit to take out a whole garrison by himself. Saul's in a cave. The people who were with him were about 600, including Ahijah, the priest of the Lord, wearing an an ephod. Now, the ephod was uh, an apron-like garment that the high priest would wear. It had uh, two straps on the top of it that held it up. Two onyx coins were on top of the straps. One of them had the six tribes of Israel on the left, the six tribes of Israel on the north. It was, it was, uh, it was on the right. It was woven out of gold and, and, and uh, uh, other uh, valuable silks. And then on top of it was put a breastplate, and in the breastplate were uh, the umum and the thumum. And we've talked a little bit about that. Those dice by which you discern the Lord's will. And so get this picture. The, 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 Lord is, the, the, the battle is moved over to Jonathan. Jonathan now is taking the, the lead. Saul's in a cave, doesn't know what's going on. And the means by which a leader would find out the will of the Lord are sitting right next to him. And he... Evidently, doesn't do anything. He doesn't consult the Lord. He doesn't inquire of the Lord. Later on in Samuel, we'll see David several times in the middle of a battle, stop, go over to the priest, and again, I don't know how this worked. I wish I knew how this worked. It seems almost silly, but take these two dice and roll them. And that was how they discerned the will of the Lord. You know, heads go, tails stop, or something like that. I don't know quite how it worked, but it was very simple. There was two dice. One said go, one said stop. And David often consulted it. Saul doesn't. And instead, when his watchman says, Hey, something's going on over in the Philistine camp. What we read is, here's Saul's response. Count. See who's gone from us. And when they would counted... Jonathan wasn't there. So again instead of consulting the Lord Saul just starts counting. He assesses his own resources. He has no idea what God is 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 doing in in the battle. And you know as I thought about that I thought this is a man who's starting to fade. This is a man who perhaps because of disappointment with the Lord, anger with the Lord, frustration with the Lord. We don't know what it was, but he's no longer walking closely with the Lord. Now, for us, we have a different toolkit for assessing the Lord's will. We don't roll dice. We pray and read scripture, have spiritual conversations. We come to worship. We we discern the Lord's will. That way, and one of the things that I would suggest to you is that if you're further away from the Lord this year than you were on Super Bowl Sunday last year, Super Bowl Sunday is now part of the church lectionary calendar. You've <laughs> picked, this, picked that up. If uh, if that is true, one of the, the symptoms of that, one of the reasons for that is is possibly that you stop consulting the Lord. And you just started counting. You just started figuring out. You're a pretty smart guy. And you're not sleeping around or doing crack. You tithe. Life works pretty well for you. Sometimes your phone goes off in church, but overall... (laughs) I mean, they're not really humiliating moments, and if it weren't David Johnson, I wouldn't have said that, but just don't let anybody look at David right now, okay? <laughs> I'll pay for that. So we have an ongoing little feud here, but I have the mic. So um, so one of the things that I would ask you as you kind of discern where you are tonight before you come with the table, are you talking to the Lord about your life? Are you doing it as much as you were a year ago? Or have you become disillusioned and angry and hurt and frustrated, and now you're kind of doing it on your own? All right, last story here, the last part of chapter 14. And this, again, is sort of a different kind of story. Uh, The the battle is is turned on... uh, The Philistines are, are being defeated, by the way. I know we're talking a lot about war tonight. Next week, I'm going to give the whole sermon to the question of holy war in the Bible, because personally, it's one of the greatest struggles I've had as I've read the Old Testament, and I know it is for for many of you. So next week, we're going to just stop and ask this whole question, of how do we read these war stories where everybody's wiped out? Uh, That's next week. But this is one where that happens. So they've been fighting all day, and at the end of the day, Saul says, I want everybody to fast until we avenge my enemies. And Saul's troops are famished, but they don't eat. Uh, Jonathan's not heard about the fast, so he eats some honey on the on the floor uh, of the forest. The people confront him. Jonathan, Jonathan says, I think that's a stupid idea. Uh, the people uh, turn him into Saul. Saul says, you've got to die. Uh, then they support him, and, and he doesn't die, and Saul's power continues to slip away. It's an interesting story. Read it. But there's a couple of things that happen in the middle of the story that are just bizarre. Okay, this is a war scene. The first thing Saul does is he calls this fast at the end of the day when the people are starving. Then the next thing he does is he gives this speech about kosher food laws in the middle of the battle. The people are starving, so they start to chop up the animals of the Philistines, and, and there's blood in them, and, and of course, in the Old Covenant, you weren't supposed to eat things with blood in them. So he stops in the middle of the battle and lectures about food purity. And then the next thing that he does is he creates an altar, and then the next thing he does is he then he goes and gets the umum and the thumum. And I was, I was thinking about this week, and I read a commentary by Eugene Peterson on, on this part, and, and he makes this observation, and I thought, this is pregnant. This is important, and I don't think I mind the depths of it. Maybe uh, in, be, in between commercials tonight, you can talk about this. And better tomorrow. The commercials are going to be more fun than the game. Uh, here's the principle that Peterson points out, and I think it's true, is as the Spirit leaves Saul he becomes more religious he turns to religion to religious ritual as a way of ordering his future i don't i don't know why now what, is, what would that look like for us well it it's easy in church history to see this right you you see these white hot movements uh, a start out where everybody's on fire and there's energy and love. And then a generation later, all you've got left are the embers and the ashes and dead structures of empty tradition. And you, if you've ever been to Europe, you go into these huge cathedrals where there's like an old security guard left in it. You think, whoa, what happened here? But it could happen here. It does happen here. It happens to you and me. Where, where, and usually I would submit to you, it goes all the way back to a bad experience at Gilgal. It goes back to a disillusionment. It goes back to a hurt, to a frustration, to what Michael Card is talking about. You are the God of Hesed. I'm not experiencing you as a God of Hesed, of loving kindness. I don't know what to do with the gap. You say you can do all these things. I was thinking of this tonight. It's such a great worship. We're singing about the name of Jesus and I kept thinking about you know the, our city and the wounds in our city and the kids in our city and the drugs in our city and the gangs in our city. Is it possible that the name of Jesus could really set people free in our city? It's so good on Sunday night to sing that. But so often, it doesn't seem like it happens. And when you live in that gap between Hesed and reality... And it breaks your heart. Sooner or later, you just start to pull away, and you turn to ritual. You turn to religion. You give a speech on kosher food in the middle of the battlefield. Now, what would that look like for us? I think think it's this, this sense that you have turned to a system rather than a That you've embraced a culture rather than a person. A set of habits and practices rather than a person. Sometimes we talk about this idea that in the New Covenant, Jesus came to lead us beyond religion into relationship with Jesus Christ. Beyond religion religious ritual into relationship with Jesus Christ and that everything is supposed to come out of that intimate relationship and that the religious practices that we do, worship, sacrament, all of that, they naturally flow out of that relationship. What happens is too often the ritual becomes all we've got. How do you know if that happened to you? How do I know if if that's going on in my life tonight? Well, I just made a little list of just some descriptive words of what we see in Saul's life and see I would say this these are some words that describe me or you when we're living more out of religious obligation than out of an intimate connection with the Lord these are just some words that describe a turn towards religion and away, away from the spirit pressure Forcing things, anxiety, reactivity. These are all things I'm observing in Saul. Lack of peace, impatience, little energy for time in the quiet place, going against the words of the community, isolation, rashness, vows you can't keep, Magical bartering and not following the word that you do know. So as you, as you think about this story tonight and you let it kind of wash over you, I want you to ask that question again. A year ago, were you more turned towards Christ than you are tonight? Would you say that tonight you've become more religious and less connected with the Spirit? Well, then then maybe one of the things you can do this Lent is write your own psalm of lament. Do what Saul didn't and what David would have done. And as we'll learn when we look at those great psalms, he's always ready to take us back. Let's pray.